0: Um, here's the thing I know about 2023, is that we are incredibly impatient people. Am I right? Like, you probably have, you've experienced this before, but here's the funny thing, I think, is that most of us believe we are actually patient people. Fifth Third Bank recently did a study They did some research to figure out exactly how patient people were. And it started with 80% of the people they surveyed believing that they themselves considered themselves patient people, but the study did not, in fact, back up those claims. They learned that 96% of people knowingly would consume extremely hot food or drink, knowing that it would burn their mouth. And 63% of them admitted that they do this on a frequent basis. Over 50% of the people they surveyed hang up the phone less than one minute after being put on hold. And 71% said that they frequently speed to whatever destination they're going to, no matter how important. And lastly, 25% of the people said they wait less than one minute after their projected wait time at a restaurant before going to complain to the wait staff. I don't know about you, but that does not sound like 80% of the people around here are patient. And you know the situation where I think most people are the most impatient? I've experienced this more times than I can count. It's about one mile away from wherever you just left. And you hear a small voice in the back seat say, Dad, I have to go to the bathroom. Knowing full well you just asked them if you have to go to the bathroom. And you know know, whether it's a five-minute drive or a five-hour drive is an emergency. They cannot wait, and we must pull over the car right now. Parents, anybody experienced this before? Good, thank you. So if you ever see a maroon Honda Odyssey on the side of the road in Wabash... We're fine, we're just going to the bathroom, okay? I got two boys who can't hold their bladder till we get home. So as we begin this Christmas series this morning, we're gonna look at different characters of Christmas and see their emotions and experiences as we approach the birth of our Savior. And today we're gonna look at a few different characters in the story, and we see each of them are in a period of waiting. And to start this morning, we're gonna read about Zechariah. We're gonna be in Luke chapter one, but before we get there, we need to understand something important. That it has been over 400 years that God has been silent. So after the New Testament, Old Testament, excuse me, there's no evidence that God spoke at all until we get to this one interaction with Zechariah. So today, we can't wait one minute on hold. Just imagine how God's people are feeling knowing it's been 400 years since they last heard from God. We're going to be reading starting in Luke chapter 1, verse 8. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So here, God is finally breaking his silence to send an angel to speak to Zechariah. And he tells him that your prayer is finally being answered. You're going to have a son. And his response is a questioning of, how can that be? I don't know if you know this, but we're old. So first he questions the angel, and then he gives a reason why, to the, and the angels, why when he says that, the angel, he says, like, this isn't going to come true. So while his asking of, how can this be, may seem innocent, and like he's just wanting confirmation like this is going to happen, but the way he speaks here is more of a matter of fact and not really a question. It's more of a, listen, I know we've been praying for this, but it ain't happening. We be old, yo, like not happening. It's almost as if Zechariah is actually surprised and doesn't believe his long-time prayer is actually going to be answered. So here we see Zachariah waited with doubt. Zechariah waited with doubt. And I wonder how many of us are more like Zechariah than we realize. Consider your prayer life. If an angel came to you tonight and said, that one prayer that you've been praying over and over again is finally going to come true, how many of us would respond the same way of, well, it's probably not going to happen because of this, and I don't know if it could happen because of that. We would begin to list the reasons that it was not going to happen. So if we were only allowed to pray for the things that we knew would come true, how many of us would really have anything left to pray for? Do you believe that the things you pray for are actually going to come true? So some of us won't be praying at all because we all have nothing left. And Zechariah had been praying for something he didn't believe was actually going to happen. So the angel says, okay, because of your unbelief, you cannot speak until the words that I say come true. And I think there's an interesting connection between Zechariah and a man in Mark chapter 9. Here Mark, a father comes to Jesus and explains that his son is possessed by a demon and it's been trying to kill him since birth. It tries, throws him into seizures, tries to throw him in lakes or off of cliffs. Finally, in Mark 9, the father goes to Jesus because he wants help, and he goes to Jesus and says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And when I always picture this story, I picture Jesus looking at the boy in this moment because the boy is currently having a seizure, and, and the man says this, but if you can do anything, take pity on us. And in this moment, I see Jesus whip his head around almost frustratingly. If you can, said Jesus, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. I think far too many of us are like the man in Mark 9 and Zechariah. We may believe, but we also wrestle with doubt. We wrestle with unbelief. And let's, let me stop and start by saying this. If you have moments of wrestling, if you are struggling, struggling to believe, and if you have doubts, know you are not alone. As Barnabas Piper says, doubt is not the enemy of belief. I'd be willing to say that there's not one person in this room who hasn't had moments of doubt. And if you're sitting here today, and you have a lot of questions, and you have a lot of doubts, the couple things I want you to see is, one, don't take your doubt as a reason that God doesn't want to use you. For instance, Zechariah, he had doubts. He didn't believe it was gonna happen, but Zechariah raised the son, the boy that would prepare the way for Jesus. And even this man in Mark chapter nine raised his son and he did amazing things. God still used both of these men in the midst of their doubt, in the midst of their unbelief. God still wants to do amazing things in you even if you struggle with doubt. The second thing I would say to you in your moments of doubt is to pray the prayer this father prays in Mark 9, 24, Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. In those moments, don't pull farther away from God. Don't pull farther away from the community of believers. Don't pull away from the church, but lean in and ask God, help me in my unbelief. Don't be ashamed of your doubts. Church is a safe place to explore your faith and to ask questions. Believe that God can still use you in those moments. Lean in and ask God, help you in your unbelief. Honestly, you can join me in praying in that prayer. Next, we're going to look at Elizabeth. Elizabeth was the wife of Zechariah. After Zechariah comes home, he's unable to speak, and Elizabeth finally becomes pregnant. And Luke 1.25 says this, the Lord has done this for me. This is Elizabeth's response a couple months later. The Lord has done this for me, she said, "In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace Among the people. So now Elizabeth, who has waited a long time to get pregnant, is in a different phase of waiting. She now waits for the birth of her long awaited child. Her response to pregnancy is much different than Zechariah. She recognizes that this is truly a gift from God. And if we skip down a few verses after this, we see a beautiful interaction between her and Mary. Mary at this point has just found out that she is gonna have a child and this interaction comes after Elizabeth has now been pregnant for six months. So here's their interaction in Luke chapter one starting in verse 39. At the time Mary got ready and hurried to a town into the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you are bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of her greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. There's something incredibly special about Mary and Elizabeth's interaction in this moment. Two pregnant women who could not have been any more different in their journey one of old age who has longed to be pregnant for, for, for so many years and it just hadn't happened yet. The waiting, the shame, the despair that she felt for so many years. And then God spoke it to happen and it did. To another mother, of very young age, not married, a virgin who was waiting for her life with Joseph to be married, to, to move on and now God spoke this moment to happen and it did. This is a beautiful interaction of two stories colliding into a beautiful work of God. And we find Elizabeth, this old mother yet to be, to be the first person to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord here on earth. A moment that could easily be passed over, but in verse 43, it says, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Jesus was our savior. And in this moment between these two mothers who were so very different, Elizabeth was the first person to truly worship Jesus here on earth. So Elizabeth, she waited with worship. Elizabeth waited with worship. She couldn't help but worship when she celebrated her pregnancy and worshiped when she first encountered Jesus as they waited for his birth. The final character we're going to look at this morning is Mary, who went from waiting to live out her future with Joseph to now waiting to raise the savior of the world. We see here interaction being told that she's pregnant with an angel in Luke one starting in verse 28. The angel went to her and said, greetings you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled as words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid Mary, you have found favor with God, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You were to call him Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her six months, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So Mary, who was an unwed teenager, is now being told, not only are you going to have a son, but it's going to be the son of God. And on the surface, her response may look similar to Zacharias, but it's actually not. You see, Zachariah doubted based on his own abilities, a.k.a. his own age, and Mary's initial response of how can this be since I am a virgin is simply set out of innocence and not doubt. She wanted to know how it's gonna happen since I am a virgin. Like, what does this look like? She didn't wanna be kept in the dark. And I think this is where I relate to Mary. She's told this news and wants to know everything involved in the situation. She doesn't wanna be kept in the dark, and honestly, I'm like that, too. I don't, I don't like surprises very much, especially when it comes to Christmas gifts. I love trying to figure out what I'm going to get. If I tell you something, you guys promise not to judge me this morning. Can we agree to that? All I hear is laughter, okay? We'll see what happens. So I love my wife, Danielle, but one of my favorite things is trying to figure out what she's going to get me for Christmas every year. And we've been married 13 years, and I don't think she's ever surprised me once on Christmas, Every Black Friday, oh, I'm sorry, Deb, sorry to let you down. Every Black Friday, she goes shopping with her mom and her sister. They're in Fort Wayne, typically, and so I sit at home, and I track her phone to see exactly what store she's going to be in. (laughs) You're not supposed to judge me, remember? And then I get on our bank statements to see exactly what store she spent money at, to know exactly how much is spent, then I cross-reference that with my Christmas list so I know exactly how much it costs to what she spent at a certain store, because I've tracked her to all those Stores. Okay, I have a problem, okay? (laughs) I know this, this is established. So one year, Danielle finally got smart. She's like, that's it, I'm turning the tracking off my phone and my mom is gonna pay for all of David's gifts, okay? She gets smarted up, but guess what, I'm smarter. (laughs) Whatever they bought for me, I don't even remember what it was, it was a few years ago, Uh, was not available in the store, so they had to ship it to the house. I did not open the gift, okay? I'm not that low, but what I did do is I rechecked all the numbers and looked at the return address to figure out exactly where it came from. All the order numbers and all that stuff to figure out exactly what I was getting for Christmas. Okay, I have a problem. I know it. I know what I know. I don't like surprises. I don't like being kept in the dark. Finally, she's just given up, and I got a new pair of shoes this year for Christmas. <laughs> now she yells at me. I wear them already, but oh well. Thankfully, Mary as a teenager is a little more mature than I am at 35 years old. But when she receives this news, we see her response in this new season of waiting. Mary waits with obedience. Mary waits with obedience. After hearing all of this news, news that honestly I can't even begin to fathom how I would take, I would have a lot more questions than Mary. And in verse 38, she shows an incredible amount of faith, even at such a young age. She says, in response to this, this angel and this news. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Honestly, I think this is one of the most important prayers a follower of Jesus can pray. A prayer of Jesus, you are my king. May your desires be my desires. May your plans be my plans. You are my master. I will follow you all the days of my life. And what a prayer for Mary in this moment. An amazing prayer that echoes far beyond this moment. You see, this is a formative prayer even for the entire life of Jesus. I like that at its pinnacle, Jesus prays again in Luke twenty-two forty-two. 42. This time it's not a prayer of hope of a coming child, but it's a prayer of Jesus who is soon to face the cross. This is a prayer of Jesus as he's in the garden right before he is arrested, Luke 22, 42. God, if you are willing to take this from me, but if not, may your will be be done. It is virtually the same prayer that Jesus prays in the garden that Mary prays when she learns of her pregnancy. God, may your will be done. And I love what Eugene Peterson says about this prayer of Mary. He says, this: the formative effect of this prayer on Jesus, even as he was in the womb, is confirmed by the nearly identical prayer of Jesus in Gethsemane on the eve of his death. Not my will, but yours be done. I think Jesus prayed the prayer of his mother... Taught him all the days of his life. It was praying this prayer or something similar to it that kept him from adopting Herod's ways. It was praying this prayer that prevented him from taking up the Pharisees' agenda. God, may your will be done and not my own. So, in this new season of waiting, a season of huge, unexpected changes, Mary simply wants to be obedient to what God is asking of her. And you may be thinking, that's an easy prayer to pray. He's Jesus. How easy is that child going to be to raise, right? But don't forget the consequences of this birth. An unwed teenage mother. And because of her pregnancy, she would most likely become an outcast in society. Joseph has every right to leave her in the dust and leave her behind, and she would be living on the streets with no support, no one to be there for her. Mary, knowing this is a likely outcome of this prayer, she simply still prays, God, I am your servant, knowing what her likely future will entail. But your will be done, God, not mine, in this moment. And not many of us would find it easy to pray this prayer knowing the pain that you are bringing on yourself. Man, Elizabeth, Zachariah, and Mary, They received incredible gifts from God, from raising the one who had prepared a way for Jesus to literally raising the Savior of the world. So I think the gifts we receive from people say something about us. So I I brought three gifts up here. So when you get gifts this year at Christmas, just remember it says something about you, okay? Or the gift giver at times. Here's one gift. Here's a, okay, a stick of deodorant. Leave that there. Stick of deodorant another gift here. Let's see what this is. Okay. Rogaine. We got that. Let's see what the last gift. I think Joel got this for me. Okay. It's a diet book. It's a diet book. Thanks, Joel. So what do these gifts say about me? It says I stink, I'm bald, and I'm fat. I think that's what it's saying. Appreciate that, Joel. He was the one who brought him up here. Everybody saw it. <laughs> you didn't know I was setting you up, did you? Now I think the gifts we receive say something about us. So remember that this Christmas, if you get a stick of deodorant, someone's telling you you stink. Okay? Or when you get those socks in the stocking, you probably got too many holes in your current socks. Okay? So the question is, what does the the gift of Jesus mean for us? So what does it mean for us? If gifts have meaning and purpose, what is the gift of Jesus? What's it meaning? What's its meaning? And what's his purpose? I think it's this. Jesus means we need a savior. The gift of Jesus means that we are flawed, sinful human beings who needed someone to stand in the gap for us. And because of Jesus, we now have hope. That's what the gift of Jesus means. This morning, I want to wrap up by asking two questions. The first one is this. Who are you waiting for? Who are you waiting for? And there's only one answer to this question, and it's Jesus. I know it's Christmas, we wait for his birth, but that happened over 2,000 years ago. We don't have to wait for Jesus to be born. He's already come to this earth. He has left the heavens to become a baby. He became, because we needed a mediator to bridge the gap between us and and God, we needed to, Jesus to come so we would pray that prayer of, God, not my will, but yours be done, to go to the cross to die, not for anything he's done wrong, but for you and for me, flawed human beings who are in desperate need of a Savior. We needed him to be pierced for our transgressions, to be punished, for, the, for that way we would have peace, but we don't need to wait for Jesus to die. That happened 2,000 years ago. We need Jesus to defeat death, to be raised from the dead so that we would have eternal victory over death and sin. So no longer will death be victorious. No longer will death have a sting. But we don't need to wait for that either because that happened 2,000 years ago. No, we wait for the day where we will be reunited with our King, where we will for eternity be able to worship Jesus and how amazing and caring and loving and generous and righteous and how he is full of justice. And nothing in this world will forever compare, forever singing singing praises and gratitude and being with Jesus. I think too many of us are satisfied with our current relationship with Jesus. We love him, we do our best to follow him and we are so grateful for the blessings that God has given us. But if you are satisfied with your current, if you are content with your relationship with Jesus, how much are you in love with what he's done for you and not who he is as a person? We should not be satisfied with our relationship with Jesus until the day we get to see him face to face and bow at his feet and worship in admiration because nothing on this earth will ever compare to physically being with Jesus. Nothing will come close to that, friends. So who are you waiting for? The second question is how are you waiting? How are you waiting? My youngest son, Carter, is a great example of what it looks like and how we should be waiting. About three or four years ago, uh, we decided we were gonna go to Florida for fall break. So October, mid-October, we were going to Florida, and we made the mistake of telling him in August that we were going to Florida. It's all he wanted to talk about for three months. It was his first time going to Florida, first time seeing the beach, and little did did Daniel and I know what we were getting ourselves into. For three months, I promise you no exaggeration, Multiple times a day, Carter would ask, how much longer till we go on vacation? How much longer till we get to leave? How are we going to get there? Where are we going to go? How long is it going to take? What do we need to pack? What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? Show me the house where we're going. How many days till we go on vacation? It was, it was miserable, friends. Absolutely Miserable. And we did everything we knew we could do to help. We we had written like numbers countdown. We used Lego blocks that he could take off every day, but it just did not help from him from asking over and over and over again. He could not wait to go to Florida, and it was the longest three months of my life. And Daniel and I decided in that moment we will never tell Carter again when we are going on vacation or doing anything fun for that matter. We're just going to say we're getting in the car, we're going to Florida. And we've done it. I'm I'm not kidding you. We've done it. So when I think about Carter and how he, he waited to go to Florida, I can't think about how that's how we should be waiting for Jesus. I think we should wait with great anticipation. We knew for three months exactly what Carter wanted in life. He wanted to go to Florida. We had so many conversations about what he wanted to pack, what books he wanted to read when he was there, what clothes he wanted to wear. Everything was about when he went to Florida. Finally, the beginning of September, given six weeks before we were leaving, he packed his suitcase. So for two months, Carter basically lived out of his suitcase. When he would wear something out of his suitcase, right away he'd take something from his drawer to put in the suitcase, always ready to go. And it was, it was annoying for us because we do laundry and then it ended up, well, you know how kids full clothes, they don't. And so when it would go from the dresser to the suitcase, it, would, it was a wrinkly mess. So finally, I looked at him and I said, Buddy, don't you think it would be easier for you to not live out of your suitcase but to use your dresser? And he looked at me dead serious and he says, No, it's not easier because this way I'm always ready to go on vacation. His objective was to make sure he was always ready to go on vacation. At a moment's notice, if you ever lost count, if you forgot to take Lego blocks off, in a moment's notice, he was ready to go on vacation. And friends, to live in real anticipation every day is everything you're about, about anticipating the day you get to meet Jesus. Because friends, that will be the best day of your life. Do you wait for the moment we get to spend eternity with Jesus? So real quick, I'm gonna give you two ways we can live in anticipation until the day we meet Jesus. The first thing is prepare the way. Prepare the way. Zechariah and Elizabeth were called to raise a child that would prepare the way for Jesus. John 1:35 through 37 is a moment where John is with some of the disciples and they see Jesus, and here's what happens. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, John said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him, they followed Jesus. This should be us. As verse 37 says, they heard John, but they followed Jesus. People should hear us, people should see us, people should interact with us, but they should follow Jesus. We should live in anticipation by pointing to the one who was far greater than us. And the second thing, allow God's word to be fulfilled. Allow God's word to be fulfilled. To be fulfilled. To live in anticipation is to live a life that prays the prayer of Mary I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Friends, let's not lose sight of how Zechariah, Elizabeth, and Mary waited for the birth of their Savior. And may we wait well as we await the day that we can physically be with Jesus. Let's wait with anticipation. Let's prepare the way. And allow God's word to be fulfilled in us. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. And God, thank you for this Advent season that we get to wait for his birth. God, we anticipate that celebration coming up in a few weeks. But God, even more, we, we cry out, we long, we, we want that moment where we see Jesus face to face. But God, we are in this season of waiting. Help us to anticipate. Help us to point to the one who's greater than us. Help us to to live the life you desire for us and not the lives that we desire for ourselves. God, may you be greater than everything in our life. Jesus, we long for you. We need you here. Us flawed human beings, Jesus, we need you. You are the answer. You are the solution Jesus, thank you for what you did for us. A price we will never be able to repay. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name I pray. Amen.